Welcome back to our series of sessions about establishing a funding mindset and practical ways to place that into action to support your scholarly activities and support the goals of the center. Today, we'll be talking with Bob Stodden again, the founding director emeritus of Center on Disability Studies at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. And we'll be turning to the first of a few sessions considering grant development. We've been talking about some different funding vehicles uh, beyond grants, and today we'll zero in uh, on, on thinking about developing effective grants. Thank you, Bob. Well, good morning. Thank you, Raphael. I appreciate the introduction. And uh, we have a very important topic today and uh, also we'll follow through in the next couple of weeks. Grant development is, and I'm looking at grants from a, in a very broad perspective, uh, rather than just talking about writing a grant, uh, we're talk talking about the whole process of developing a grant, which includes one of the steps, which is writing a grant. And typically writing a grant, the writing portion of this process is, is typically less than 50% of the total activity. Uh, and often people ignore all the other pieces and uh, which uh, makes the writing more difficult and obviously less responsive in terms of getting funded. Uh, so grants, whether they're uh, governmental grants, private foundation grants, or other personal kinds of grants, uh, they are typically the largest support component of most uh, uh, university research centers. This is where you can typically acquire large amounts of money uh, to carry on large projects. It might be research, research projects or also large center uh, types of proposals that fund major core portions of a uh, research center. So there are several pieces to this. I'm, I'm gonna start out right where I think uh, is, is number one and, uh, and this, or first in line, I guess, and, uh, and just proceed through this. And that includes, so I'm gonna kind of break today's session into three components. Uh, the first being getting into the mindset of developing grants. We've been talking about the mindset uh, of funding. So this is now a very targeted or specific mindset. Then we'll talk about positioning your proposal once you've decided to write this proposal or to develop this proposal. And then we'll talk about some of the aspects of writing a proposal. And then next week, we're gonna get into the very specifics of writing a proposal. So let's get started. Typically, the first part, the first part of a mindset, a person is in the mindset of uh, getting grants, so to speak. You have to be in the mindset of winning the grant. Uh, I've worked with a lot of people who their mindset is, uh, uh, let's see how we can do. Uh, let's try this. You need to start from the beginning is we're going to get this or we're going to go get it. And we're going to write a grant that's fundable because otherwise, to be honest, the whole process is a practice run. If you're writing the grant just to get in the pot, uh, just to somewhat be competitive, then uh, it's, a, it's an exercise. Because uh, grant writing is a zero-sum game. You either win or you lose. Uh, there isn't second place 
other kinds of places. You, you either get the grant or you don't get the grant. So you start out from step one, I'm looking, I'm going to win a, this grant. So that's important because people, uh, there's a lot, a lot that goes into a grant that relates to confidence and uh, assuring all the different things that you're going to do that are going to contribute to winning the grant. So you don't want to step back on any of those if you really intend to, to win that grant. So let's start right from the uh, beginning. And it starts with part of your mindset is searching for funding sources. The mindset is you're looking all the time for funding sources. Uh, you don't just look in March or uh, once uh, one time a year or certain times you're con constantly looking. And you may be looking, uh, looking using keywords. And uh, so you, you want to use an array of keywords because uh, RFPs or requests for proposals to obtain grants are listed in all different kinds of ways, whether it's a federal agency directory or whether you're looking for foundations online or whether you're looking for international funding sources, uh, you should have an array of keywords around your areas of expertise and uh, the, the types of work you're looking to do. So obviously a major source uh, of funding is uh, the U.S. government. Every department in the U.S. government and many state departments uh, let out RFPs. They let out requests for proposals for grants to be done. It, it's a major vehicle for work to be completed. You don't want to ignore these groups or these agencies in your search. You want to be sure to include them. They tell you exactly what they want to see in, an, in a proposal. And then there are foundations that are very open. And uh, it's called field initiated. You initiate the idea from the field and fit it into very global uh, requests for proposals. At one time, this search, the search for funding sources, uh, was kind of a random process. Uh, but today with the internet, uh, the web, there are there obviously there are major companies that actually do these searches and you can you can sign on to these companies uh, typically for a fee and they will send you all kinds of RFPs related to keywords that you give them. Uh, but you can also do these searches yourself uh, just using uh, Google on the web. Uh, and, and it's good to, to do this continuously over 12 months. Uh, RFPs come out all the time. And some RFPs come out annually, like every year, approximately the same time. So some things you can be well prepared for and you can be looking for them. Uh, but other ones pop out at any time during the year. Uh, so it's good to uh, constantly search. Bob, can I ask you a quick question? Certainly. So as we think about looking at these different funding sources, government and foundations, you mentioned some ways to identify these. We talked about having an array of keywords. Are there specific databases and resources that you might recommend for people to keep in their, uh, their toolbox? Yes, there's some. Well, first place maybe that a person might look uh, for a listing of RFPs would be with, uh, say, if you're associated with a professional association, uh, 
such as uh, the Center on Disability Studies as part of the AUCD network. And that network posts, I think almost weekly, a list of RFPs that are available in the area of developmental disabilities. Uh, and obviously we work much more broadly than that. And so you, you would want to want to look way beyond their scope, but they, that's an easy thing. You can read it. They give a synopsis. I, I do a quick three minute review of what they put out each week. And if something's interesting, I'll check it and I'll go to the site and actually review it. All professional organizations uh, issue those. You may be a member of APA, a whole bunch of different groups. Uh, they all do this. So that, that's a service and that's something that's free. Uh, but you can also, there is a, there's a company that uh, I have an interest in uh, nonprofit uh, NGO types of uh, funding, uh, particularly internationally. And uh, so there is a company that puts out, it, it actually lists all the MGO RFPs that are out at any given time on all topics. And you can narrow it down to disability or you can narrow it to education and to rehab. It's worthwhile having some of these resources available unless you are going to do a lot of open-end searching on the web uh, because these people have done it for you already. So I would look at your, your own association or your own group, professional groups first. And then, so you can also go on the U.S. government has a site for all the departments. It's somewhat cumbersome initially, uh, but you can bookmark different areas just because it's so large and delete most of it. But uh, uh, it's a good site to go to if you like for NIH money or uh, any of the money around the department, U.S. Department of Education. To be honest, there are so many RFPs issued so often that you actually have to have some sort of a selection process to down. In other words, if you're running around looking at all of these and thinking about responding to all of them, you're going to go crazy or you're not going to be able to do a good enough job on what you, the ones you're going to apply. Uh, so you somewhat need a selection process, like a, a process of narrowing these down. So several rules to use. One is kind of keywords, areas of interest, uh, but also RFPs come in a range of shapes and sizes. Like they're very large studies or large centers. Uh, there are going to be requests for proposals that given your geographic location may be very difficult to obtain. They may be very competitive. In other words, thousands of people may be applying for this the way it's described. So you want to look at each of those factors and narrow that list down. You don't want to be working with a giant list that's going to be out there. Uh, you want to narrow it down and focus it in on, one, something that's doable for you, something that fits and works for what you're doing, fits into your center, uh, and, and something you can win. Uh, that's that's a big uh, piece. Some RFPs, is, they're describing uh, programs that, uh, lay, say, are way beyond your reach. Uh, or you know someone else who may be positioned for this, uh, for this RFP. Uh, so uh, you need to, that needs to be thought through. Otherwise, you can be applying for a lot of things that you have absolutely no chance 
of ever getting. And uh, it's not a total waste of time, but it's, uh, it's not a good use of time. So doing these reviews, there's a critical point in time that people need to attend to. And then to me, this, I always call it, the, it's the point in time where it's a go, no go. In other words, we're going to go for this, we're going to apply for it, or we're not. Uh, and, and that's important. That's a very important point in time because once you take one of these on, uh, it's very easy to not go. It's very easy as you're developing it to say, oh, God, this is overwhelming. Oh, I can't do it or I don't have time. Uh, it's so hard. And uh, it's very easy to bail on the process. And it's much easier to bail than it is to stay with it. So often, and I've worked with people all over the country in writing grants, often we'll get down about halfway done with this. And people will kind of say, well, oh, I, we can't get our partners. I don't think we're going to, we can't do it. And, uh, so you need to, if, at that point where it's go, no go, if you're going to go, you finish it, irregardless, and submit it. Uh, otherwise, it's way too easy to not do it. And people will select more often than not, not to do it. So that, that's important, and people don't think about it that much, but uh, typically I'll define a point in time as early on as possible that we are doing this or we're not doing it. And if we're going to do it, we will do it right to the end. We'll get it submitted before the deadline or at the deadline, and uh, irregardless of maybe all the downfalls we've had in doing this, around partners, budget, the university, the, all kinds of uh, issues and questions that come up, uh, but we're going to get it in. If we said we were going to do it, we're going to do it. So, so kinda, I'm sorry, yeah. you kind of set that uh, go, no, no go date uh, kind of early in your process so that you're with this preliminary yes. work and you're kind of, maybe it's sort of a valetory, but then you say, okay, by this date, it's go or no go full force yes. or retreat. Yeah, it's, it, it's very important uh, because a lot of the grant proposals are somewhat like writing a dissertation. We all kind of know the story about doing dissertations is people, there's a percentage of people that just never finish them. Uh, and it's somewhat because it's allowed, like it is not very time specific. You might have seven years to get it done Grants, you have 45 days typically is the average amount of money or the average amount of time that you have to decide and complete and submit. And it's not adjustable. And that's, that time is set. And uh, for that purpose, it's very important for you to set a time that you're going to work on this uh, so that... Uh, uh, you get it done and everybody understands that you're going to get it done and you're going to do the very best you can to put in the most likely proposal that will win this competition. So that mentally that's important. Uh, I think to people, if everybody knows that up front then everybody's on board and being sure it happens. So the time limitedness of this process is also it's very anxiety provoking for people, for many people anyway, that 
the pressure in terms of the time and the completed the completion of sections, how this all comes together, all the other parts, the development of partnerships, the budgets, uh, letters of support, letters of participation, uh, all of these are things that have to fit in that time limit. And so you have to kind of lay them out so to ensure that you have them. Uh, otherwise, your proposal is not that fun, not that competitive. So proposal writing or proposal development is a competitive process. You have to know that right up front. It's, it's a process where you're going to be competing with others and, uh, and you need to take it on in that mindset. And very often uh, uh, proposal, different proposals are very competitive. In other words, uh, there are hundreds of applicants and often only one proposal is going to be selected to be funded. Uh, so how, how do you become number one on the list? That's always the question. Because uh, once you fall below number one, you don't know whether you're, whether you're going to be funded or not. So you don't really want to uh, spend your time. But there are some proposals that I've always had proposals that I refer to as gimme proposals. In other words, they are targeted or they have limited eligibility or they're regional. Uh, or you just have an excellent chance of getting it. And, and you're going to get it almost no what, uh, you know, no, no matter what you do. So those are, there are every now and then give me types of RFPs out there. But more often than not, uh, these RFPs, uh, they're extremely competitive. And, uh, and you, you have to be up to the competitive process mentally, kind of physically for that 45 days. So, and that's a very tense kind of uh, thing for a lot of people. I've had people have had mental breakdowns and any number of different things happen throughout this process that, uh, or destroy Xerox machines or their computer or anything. Numbers of things that just given the stress that built uh, builds up, so we kind of deal to it's kind of work together to deal with that, and everybody helps everybody else. People who are procrastinators, uh, it becomes very evident <laughs> in this process. Yes, I usually lay out a timeline that uh, gives some flex a little bit so that I have a chance to do several reviews and maybe external people review it. Uh, so I'm looking for a week or two uh, where we can tune this thing up to the point that we're hitting on all the points that are required. We have everything covered. Everything's covered in a clear and concise manner. And the innovativeness of this this uh, intervention or proposal is going to jump right out at you as this is what will solve this problem. And it's very doable. And uh, it's, it's right in front of your face if you're a reviewer. So uh, timeline wise, uh, you typically need to give yourself two or three weeks before the deadline for all that to really be clear and for uh, uh, the reviews to happen, meaning that you have to back plan this uh, so that you have two or three week window at the end. And of course, universities typically require a week or whatever number of days to uh, actually process the proposal internally. 
Uh, so you can't go right to the deadline, but you can get very close. And I'm, I'm always, I've always been an advocate uh, for staying with the proposal right up to the last second. You can always make it better. So uh, I'll do a last review right up to the point where you push the button because your competitors are going to do the same thing. For I've had people close out a proposal, a proposal two weeks ahead because they were tired of working on it. Well, the people they're competing with are still improving their proposal and they're going to beat you out probably. You can't have that attitude or uh, you're not going to win typically. I have friends on the mainland that I, I've competed with and partnered with. They, they work on a proposal right up to the last second. You can always change something. You always improve something. Like I've read proposals that I wrote last year, so I reread it this year because I thought it was a great proposal. And after I read it, it's like, oh, God, I could have improved that or that could have been a little bit clearer. So that, that's always the case, no matter how much energy you put into it. Now, I know that we're talking about grants at very different levels, like you talked about also the, the fact that some of them are gimme that based on certain criteria, you're almost assured. Given all the different tasks that need to be done, regardless of the scope of the grant, I'm just wondering about how big the team at the minimum needs to be to do it. Multiple people involved and you know, on almost every grant. Uh, if, if you're really going to win the grant, because everybody else does. Uh, there's, this, I think, a person who locks themselves in their office and writes a grant and submits it. Uh, you, most of these, you have very little chance of being funded. Just because you have competitors that maybe have five or 10 of you working on the grant and uh, in, a, in a manner that uh, can be expedited and can include all the possible diverse strengths and resources that uh, can be brought to bear. Uh, you can't be competitive individually against a process like that. So yes, it, and I, I've had teams uh, maybe starting with 10 people and by the time we're getting uh, 20 days out or something like that, we're cut down to five people and, uh, and one person has to be in charge. One person drives the grant takes the responsibility for the quality of the grant, ensuring it gets done, and you guide and maybe work with or borrow the time from other people that participate in different parts of it. And are you kind of clearly defining what the role is of each person? Like, is it yes. a section that they're doing, or is it research? Yes, or... yes. Uh, and I'll get into this in another session, but okay. uh, they, they def everybody has clear roles. Like somebody... Someone just coming into this process typically is going to do literature review, web searches to establish need and significance, uh, where somebody that has significant experience with the problem is going to be involved in designing uh, the intervention that will be described and maybe hitting on developing the significance. Uh, and you have somebody else that's uh, very familiar with budgets to uh, frame out what the budget should look like to ensure that this appears to be very doable uh, to the reader, that it can be done for that amount of money. And personnel, you typically have a person involved that uh, 
understands people's vita, what their work experience and training is, and uh, people are slotted into slots to ensure that that's very evident uh, to the reader, that you have the horses on board, so to speak, to carry this out, given the money you're asking for. And so what you've described, it sounds like there's a plan to include a spectrum of experience from uh, yes. early people being mentored to very experienced people that all of them would have a, a place in the project. Right. Yeah. And, and would work on pieces and work together. Uh, and that's how people learn. Uh, you, so you start out maybe with uh, doing uh, very targeted reviews to uh, becoming familiar with how to write those reviews up into significant statements or targeted need statements. And, uh, and you look at other proposals. So there's many different ways to learn this, but you have to do it. Uh, and, uh, and bringing people onto a team that, uh, and I've had people tell me, oh, it's way more work working with 10 people than it is if I worked with two. And I always tell them, well, uh, you should have 10 times the expertise coming on with 10 people than you do with just two. It should be much more viable. Plus, all these people are being trained and are learning how to do this. So, so it's just part of the process of working with those 10 people. But you decide by the end, typically, it's just you, the, the person submitting it, who's got the responsible for the last read, and the, any questions that come in from the research services office, uh, you know, you're you're the one dealing with that and and responding and being sure it gets in. So the grants become not just um, a vehicle to obtain funding to successfully accomplish outcomes, but right up front, you're kind of planning them as a, a, an important mentorship activity for for the center or for whatever organization it is. Yes, no, it's the only sustainable way to do this. Uh, sustainable in terms of uh, time, long term, and sustainable in terms of capacity building. Uh, because as you involve people, uh, more and more teams develop and take on leadership. And so you're, the capacity of what you're doing is expanded as you do it. And the longevity then also becomes a uh, a uh, you know an obvious conclusion. Perfect. So I'm going to kind of step into the second portion of this, and so that's all. Getting into the mindset is everything about setting up and uh, finding out what's out there. So once you to make that decision, is go with a proposal. Uh, it's critical that in position you want to now position your proposal to ensure that it's, it's gonna be competitive, it's gonna win this competition. And, and that typically starts by analyzing the RFP very carefully. And requests for proposals, whether, whether they're one page position statements found on a foundation website or whether it's a 150 page application from NIH, those, those RFPs typically tell you exactly what the funder wants to get from you, exactly what they're asking for. 
Sadly, this a lot of people, they don't attend to this very much. Almost everybody that I've written grants with, they start with an idea that they have that they want to have funded. And, uh, and they, they want to do what they want to do. And so they read the RFP and they see somewhat of a fit. So they propose what they want to do when really the RFP is asking maybe for something completely different. So, so you need to be on target precisely with the RFP. And almost all RFPs have what are called priorities. Uh, in other words, these, this is what we want you to do. That's what the priorities uh, say. And also almost all RFPs have eligibility statements. So uh, this is what we want you to do. And these are the people who are eligible to get funding to do it. So those two things need to be attended to very quick, very closely, uh, because to be honest, in reviewing uh, proposals over the years with most agencies, uh, so you're given 20 proposals, say, to review in a week and to rate them and rank them. Uh, at least five of those 20 proposals probably don't address the priority. In other words, they're not even eligible to apply. And uh, but people applied anyway uh, for whatever reason, uh, so you, they're thrown out immediately. So it, it's critical that the eligibility and priority targeting is uh, is right there, and and that's the first consideration. Once you decide to go for something, you want to be sure you're on target. Now, uh, kind of a second point that. Uh, goes with this, that if you, you are clear what that priority is, uh, the second real uh, important question is, do you have the expertise to address this priority? Or is it way out of field for you? Uh, so that needs to be thought about a little bit. If you don't have the pieces or the personnel, the VITA, uh, to go for something and you don't have partners lined up or that would be interested uh, to flush this out so that you're covered, uh, then there's a serious question about uh, whether you should be doing it or not, or whether you can be competitive. So have, having the expertise, and you don't have to have it in your pocket, so to speak, you can get it. Uh, typically within the university, you can find expertise in the community, you can find it in other universities with partners and things like that. But, but, but that's important. If you don't have that, typically you're not going to be funded. So, so looking at capacity or expertise to conduct the project, uh, if you don't have it yourself, like in your own center, then you look for it in other places, in the university community or in other universities and other programs, where you look to flush out what you're going to do so that uh, you have the resource base to, you can demonstrate that resource base in the proposal that you can do this. Doability is probably the second most important thing in an application. So the first being that you're targeted on the priority. So you're, you're doing what they're asking. You have the expertise or you have the resource base to do it. And kind of a third point is that uh, you have an innovation or an idea that directly addresses this 
this RFP or this problem. And, and it's innovative enough to pop out to the reviewer as this is something that needs to be done. It's responsive, so to speak, to the problem. Along with this, uh, it's important. I always was very interested. If I start thinking about an RFP, uh, I immediately thought, of who's going to apply for this? Who, who's the competition? You know, is it a, a department in you know my own university? Is it somebody in the community? Is it another university I already work with? Uh, is it somebody that there's no way you can get this away from them? They're targeted for it, uh, which is uh, often is the case many times. Uh, but figuring that out. So you should know by the time you put your application in, you should have a pretty good idea of who the competition is out there, either by name or by category. So you know what the playing field is. Uh, otherwise, you're kind of throwing your proposal out there in space and hoping for something. Uh, I'm, uh, there's no need to throw it out there. You should be able to put it out there knowing exactly how it fits with the competition and that you're gonna be better than the competition. So that, that's important. And I don't know, people don't necessarily do that uh, very often. And another thing that's very good to do at this point in time as you're positioning is to actually call up the person, the project officer who's responsible for this competition or the for person in the foundation that's uh, responsible and have a discussion with them. Typically, they can't tell you anything that gives an advantage, but they can say many things that give you an idea of whether you should be applying, whether your idea is in the ballpark. You can get uh, their clues uh, to this. Even though they can't tell you this, uh, they can they can provide language that gives you an idea that, oh, I should change, I need to change this about the intervention, or I need to target a specific uh, population of, uh, of subjects. That, that's a critical kind of piece. A lot of people don't do that, and I'm not sure why, but, uh, but you can uh, always just call the project officer. I've called two or three times if I'm really interested in this, and I make sure they know uh, I'm applying and uh, we're doing this and, uh, and that they're going to be ready to receive this. So Bob, let me ask you, uh, mm -hmm. in contacting the, uh, the project operator or found person in the foundation responsible directly, uh, as you said, they are cautious about making sure they don't give any advantage, mm -hmm. but you said that, you know, you could get very valuable information about, you know, whether you should apply. Uh, apply or not, and uh, specific things, whether you're, you're in, the, in the target range. Can you say anything about how a person should frame that initial outreach to them in a way that would make it most valuable and least likely to uh, raise their, their, their flags of concern? Uh, yeah, so they'll tell you right away that they can't tell you anything. That's, there's a standard statement, I think, that uh, everybody's given uh, that they almost read to you that uh, you know they can't give you any information about this competition uh, because it's competitive. Uh, so in saying that, then you can kind of ask, well, uh, you know, we have this problem. 
uh, where are we working and, uh, and kind of describe the problem you want to address and also maybe some of the ways you want to address it and just see if they have any thoughts. So you're sort of getting away from the RFP and talking a little bit more about the field of study in general. And uh, typically they'll talk to you about those kind of things. Uh, and, and they'll also give, I, I, and a lot of project officers, obviously over the years you get to know them uh, and you have other projects uh, that are, uh, in operation that they have so they they get to know you you know and what you can do and things like that so then uh it'd be the, these discussions become more meaningful like if it's a uh, initial discussion it's very hard to get a read on something but uh, after 10 years of working with a project officer like i'll call and talk about something and they'll give a hint that uh, well, this is sort of targeted already for the University of Minnesota or someplace like that. They won't say that, but the hint is there that uh, these guys have been doing this for a while and uh, to beat them out is very unlikely. These clues will kind of be dropped here and there. And uh, so you need to kind of re really read what people tell you, what, what the project officer or what foundation representatives, uh, same thing what they tell you, you really read it for, for little clues that this is something you should really work on or it's something, oh, maybe you need to call someone up and partner with them. They, got, they already have it in the pocket or you should forget about it. Uh, you know, you, you'll kind of get that, those indications. But typically you need to communicate with somebody you know, for a while. Yeah, I worked with uh, NIDER uh, for years, uh, the National Institutes on uh, Disabilities. They sort of had a, it's an unwritten rule that uh, to get a grant, you had to, they had to know you in some meaning that you had to have a previous grant there. So, you know, you're giving, you know, this, uh, what do you do? You just don't apply because you, they don't know you, or do you figure out ways for them to get to know you? So he took that path and I, I figured out right away that one way to get a grant through NIDER was to apply in partnership with someone who had a grant in NIDER. They got to know me through a person they already knew. And that was a way to get in the door so that I could submit my own grant to NIDER because now they knew me through the other grant that had been funded. And so with this idea of that being a strategy to identify someone uh, as a potential partner who already has a closer relationship with that funding body. With this particular example, how did you create that relationship with this partner in the first place? Well, I think we just had common interests, kind of. So uh, it was just someone uh, in your existing network? Yeah, it was in the existing network. And uh, we had published articles together previously. I was on various editorial boards that they were on. So so we knew each other somewhat personally and professionally. And they felt kind of, so, so when someone partners with someone else, the, the general rule is they have to feel you are bringing something to the table that they need and don't have. Uh, otherwise, why partner? Uh, you know, why cut out a piece of the funding base and give it to somebody if you don't need them? Or, if they don't bring something that you don't have, that's needed. 
So that, that's, you have to know, uh, unwritten, that's unsaid, but that's the, the discussion all the time. And, uh, and so in this case, in trying to get into this agency to, so they got to know us, we had to bring something to the, this application through the other university who was already known within NIDER, had to bring something to the table they didn't have and work that out so that we had a subcontract and we were named in their proposal. Then that gave us the basis for applying ourselves because now the agency knew who we were and they actually looked at our credibility as it related to the credibility of the applicant, uh, the other entity that was applying. So you're sort of writing into the agency on the back of the of the uh, applicant who is already known by the agency. So it's a little tricky in it, uh, and, but it applied, the same rule applied on writing a grant ourselves and part, selecting partners. Some people select partners just because the person wants to partner, uh, but you really need to look at uh, what do they bring and how much do you need what they bring? What's the fit? Uh, is, is very important. Uh, otherwise, you get a proposal that has lots of different partners on it. Very hard to maneuver and get bring everybody together and uh, get something to happen. Uh, largely because you have people who just wanted a partner. Now this or might you be, like the partner. Yeah. I'm sorry. This might be something that you're returning to, uh, but just to stick for a second more with this uh, idea mm -hmm. of strategic partnerships. Um, and from the example you were just giving, is this a strategy that you are always using with every grant or is it just where, like in the example you gave, it was kind of a closed system where you had to uh, know them. And so you talked about initiating the partnership, but is this something that is part of the, the strategy for every grant or um, some more than others? Uh, some more than others, but it's, it is a strategy for all grants, even small grants. Uh, if you can better the proposal by having a partner that brings something that's critical to be funded, then you do it. Uh, we also, uh, there's a process called buying out competitors so that if, if you're, if we're working on a proposal and I know that someone is competing with me and it's going to be hard to beat them. Uh, I might propose to them that they join us. In other words, buy them out. We'll give you 30% of the budget to do these X things. If you partner with us, in other words, you buy them out of the competition uh, or they may buy us out, uh, but you have that discussion with uh, the person doing the proposal. And, and how do you identify those folks who uh, you're thinking are, or first of all, to even know that they're within the competition, uh, let uh, alone that they're uh, likely to, uh, to win? Yeah, no, there's a grapevine that, uh, so once you've been in the field a while, uh, you pretty much know everybody or know of them uh, who are in the business of, of competing in the, on grants. So. Uh, so through the grapevine, you're going to start hearing, and you call people up and talk about it, and, and they'll tell you, oh, so-and-so is applying, and, you know, oh, so-and-so has this 
in their pocket already. You know, they've worked it out. And so you'll get this information and you can kind of assess what your capabilities are of winning the competition and or buying them out or joining them uh, or dropping them. You know, you, you, all those options are there. Uh, but uh, but you need to communicate with people. Hey, to, to apply for a proposal out of the blue, so to speak, with uh, very little knowledge of the competition or the uh, agency that's uh, uh, going to fund this. Uh, if you're applying out of the blue, you just have so many marks against you uh, because uh, everybody else is in the game. You know, they're, they, they know what's going on. And... Uh, so, so you have to be part of that, particularly on large competitions where maybe one is being funded or one to three or something like that. So, I mean, sometimes people kind of cynically say that, you know, it's not what you know, but who you know. But what you're talking about, though, is really emphasizing the importance of long-term nurturing of your network and nurturing your relationship with potential partners, nurturing your relationship with the funding bodies that you'll have long-term relationships with, that all of those are not the only thing, but they seem sound like they're a crucial part of the landscape for you to be able to do these other things of have your strategic um, written purpose, et cetera. But yes. that, that initial network seems to be a really crucial part from what you're saying. Uh, yes, particularly on large grants and uh, particularly being in Hawaii to, because we're so removed from the mainland uh, that there are many competitions that uh, we would be viable applicants, but just because of our geographic location, it would be perceived that uh, we couldn't do this grant uh, either efficiently or effectively. So uh, uh, yeah, the partnerships are important and, and, and just being part of the networks because you hear constantly like, oh, this is coming out and oh, so-and-so is applying for that. Uh, are you guys thinking about it? And you kind of get this jousting going on for maybe a week or two where uh, you're finalizing the arrangement that how this is going to go and how it'll be submitted. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, uh, it is an important process and you don't have to know everybody in the world It's one of the ways you get to know people is to do that because you're constantly that network's expanding uh, every time you apply for a grant. Terrific. And that can be nationally, it can be locally. Uh, I know we apply for native Hawaiian grants, which I, I would consider fairly easy grants to get comparatively. Uh, but you need local partners. Uh, you, you need to have uh, people on board to represent different interests and, uh, and different expertise. So it's real important to have a, an, even a local sense of this. So um, I know we're running a little bit over, over our time. Uh, <laughs> okay, well, yeah, we're at 40. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, let, so, me, let me just touch maybe on the last piece okay. here because we'll pick it up next time so, so, kind of the, so we've been talking about all the things that you do prior to actually writing this proposal uh, so we haven't even taken put a pencil to paper yet uh, and so you can begin to see that this is a development process it's not a writing process specifically uh, 
and uh, so uh, the, and the next uh, the next whole section on this is how to write this. Thing. I'm just going to say a couple things about this right now, and then uh, we'll pick this up later. But uh, th there are probably two or three key things in writing the proposal. Uh, one is is clarity uh, that. The proposal must be clear to anybody who reads it because reviewers come from all over the place, different disciplines, different backgrounds. And if, uh, if three to five people in a team can't read the thing clearly saying the same thing, then you're in trouble typically. So uh, uh, being clear uh, and you're clear in two places first. Uh, one is the abstract to this proposal. Uh, it, it needs to clearly state exactly what you want to do, how it relates to the priority, and uh, how it will be addressed in a way that's innovative, significant, and will answer the problem. Uh, and typically, uh, the first section of a proposal is typically the needs or significant section. So it's a section where you can introduce what you wanna do in relation to how desperate the need is for this to be done and how significant that will be in addressing this problem. So those are kind of, they're like key thinking things before you outline this and before you start thinking how it's going to look uh, from a writing vantage point. So or we're pretty close to the end. Huh? Yeah, we are. And you, you spoke yeah. previously, I just wanted to underscore what you're saying about the importance of the abstract. You spoke previously about your experience on kind of both sides of the fence in evaluating grants and applying that sometimes in ways that a lot of uh, people applying for grants are not aware of, that the abstract is not just uh, an afterthought, but for the, the funder, it's the gatekeeper. And if they look at that yes. abstract and they don't think that it, it, it fits their priorities, et cetera, that you don't even get your grant considered. Yes. No. So if you're, if I'm a reviewer and I have 20 applications and I have a few days to review them, score them and get ready to present them. Uh, what you do is typically create three piles. Uh, one is the pile that what was read didn't make any sense or it was very cloudy and it was not related to the priority. That would be the group you're going to, to eliminate. Then you have kind of the average pile that looks like they're on target, uh, but it's not real clear how significant this will be and whether they have the pieces to do it. And that's the second pile. And then the first, the third pile is that group of proposals that were crystal clear the idea jumped right out at you, and it was so significant that you know you have to read the whole thing, and you got to read it very carefully, versus skimming over it. So you you've got to set up you set up a structure like that just to survive in the review process. So you don't want to end up in pile number one uh, with a, a proposal typically not very not real clear or not focused. Uh, and a lot of people actually submit proposals that wrote for something else. And, and, and if you're a decent reviewer, you can identify that in 10 seconds, that this proposal was written for another competition and they retrofitted it for this competition. You can usually see that right away. 
And that's not a good sign typically in the, in the review process. But yeah, the abstract is, is critical. It should say exactly what you're gonna do and very clearly the problem to be addressed. And, and you should be impressed. That's because uh, I've read out of 20 applications, I usually find three or four that just are impressive. And you, you, know, you want to do them yourself. <laughs> you look at them and like, oh, I should have thought of this, this idea and I should have written it down this clearly. <laughs> well, um, did you have anything else immediately you wanted to say? Uh, no, the next session, will, so we'll go through the actual writing process, uh, the sections, typical sections of an RFP and uh, just things to consider and doing that in a way that where you get it done in the time frame, and then kind of all the added pieces. So typically you have the technical proposal, uh, you have all the attachments that go with the proposal, uh, and then you have the budget. And uh, the points are given directly to the technical proposal. So that's the guts of the, of the grant. The other pieces have to align very tightly, but uh, are if the guts if the main part of the proposal the technical part doesn't make sense then the other parts doesn't matter like if you have a proposal it isn't it doesn't make any sense the budget can be excellent all the attachments can be great but if it doesn't make any sense it's not going to get the points needed to be funded so and some people don't prioritize it that way uh, uh, typically 90% of your time is with the technical proposal, 10% is getting the letters, the attachments, and blah, blah, and the budget. Well, um, so, so today we talked about the kind of being in specifically the mindset of winning, um, uh, the confidence needed. We talked about having uh, a team and uh, a, a real strategic plan to make sure that you're able to do it within the timeframe uh, needed, thinking about uh, strategic relationships with partners um, that are mutually beneficial, being sure to situate with uh, the competition. And, uh, and you really emphasize the idea of thinking about grant development rather than the way that people typically talk about grant writing. Uh, and kind of not even thinking about all of the major work that, that you're, you're saying is the real emphasis and that the writing is a relatively small part of it. And so we'll come back and we'll, we'll talk about uh, the RFP sections. Uh, I want to thank you again. We've been talking with Bob Stodden, the founding uh, director emeritus of Center on Disability Studies at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. And we'll continue in our next session talking about uh, grant development in this uh, funding masterclass session from the Center on Disability Studies. Music